Welcome to the Maximus Theater and Performance Podcast. This is Jose Solis. Today, we talk to Pulitzer Prize winner Nito Cruz. His new play, Exquisita Agonia, is currently running at Repertorio Español. We speak to Cruz about his love of words, his literary influences, and his experience as a Latinx man creating art under a xenophobic administration. Enjoy the show. We are here today with Pulitzer Prize winner playwright Nilo Cruz. Nilo, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Just to start, can you tell us a little bit about what Exquisita Agonia is? Um, Exquisita Agonia is about a, a, a journey. Um, it's about um, search. Um, it's, it's it's about this uh, woman who's uh, an opera singer and whose husband has died and his heart has been used in a heart uh, transplant so so basically she is searching searching for the recipient who received her husband's heart so it's all about a quest and uh, until you know she finds him and and starts to project uh, or tries to find fragments of her husband and this young boy. This was a commission by Repertorio Español. What does a commission mean and how does it change your writing process? Well, I, Federico, who's the uh, artistic, Robert Federico, who's the artistic director, came to me and asked me if, uh, if I wanted to write a play for Repertorio. Of course, it was an honor because it's for their 50th anniversary. And, and he said, what do you want to write about? And you know what is what is um a in your atmosphere <laughs> as a writer and uh so i've been writing this play esquisita unia for for some time and but i had to put it aside because i had other work to do and uh, so when robert approached me i i told him about this piece and uh and asked him if it was uh, okay for me to write about it and he gave me the green light so I continued to write the play that I hadn't uh, finished in two years you know what what happens during those breaks when you're not writing the play do you do the characters grow with you do you find new things about them or do you pause them and then just come back to them yeah I was very upset obsessive with with the with the story and uh, so uh, at one point, actually, I was supposed to write something else, and I was not writing that other that r other project. I was actually trying to concentrate on on, on this play, and uh, uh, and then of course, you know, I got sidetracked with with other projects, and then getting back to it was really difficult um, because it's about a a complete surrender. It's about a very um, intense a. It, it process is about uh, it's almost like a, a, a you're in a in a very uh, how can I say it you're a meditative state and in in search of, of it's you're in constant search for what the play is about and what the characters are doing what are what uh, are their journeys through the play uh, because again you know I'm not the kind of writer who knows what the play is going to be about when I start writing it, I sort of discover the play as I as I write. Right. Would you say that you ever get writer's block? Uh, 
Um, I don't call it writer's block. Actually, if I do pause, it's because I am searching for something and uh, and I'm I'm searching for the word, and the word just hasn't landed. Oh, that's really fascinating. Do you have like any specific rituals to help you find those words, for instance? Y yes, I do. Um, with every play comes a piece of music that I listen to, uh, or. I gather certain images that help me enter the, wor the, the world uh, a, a little faster or, 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 the, or, or the world becomes a little bit more immediate when I look at these images or listen to these pieces of, of, of music. So the play's having its uh, premiere tonight, actually, because we're recording at Repertorio Español. And I read you know, three quarters of the play, like I told you earlier, because I don't want to spoil the, the ending. And something that I must uh, thank you for is, you know, I read a lot of scripts because it comes with my job. And as theater seems to be moving towards like this like space of complete naturalism, which I find really tedious to read. I enjoyed seeing, you know, naturalistic plays on stage, but they're not pleasurable to read. And there's such love for words in Exquisita Agonia that I was, I really want to finish writing this. Mm -hmm. So as theater seems to be moving towards that, you know, almost documentary, like, uh, I don't know, way of being, I guess, how do you, how are you able to resist joining the movement and just show such love for words? Yeah. Well, I think it's it's always been a a passion of mine to um, sort of um, try to find beauty in in the ordinary and try to find uh, a more elevated uh, of ways of uh, looking at characters and um, uh, or find uh, the lyricism behind characters. So. Uh, I write in one level and then I go back and I look at the psychology of the other characters and I try to look at the subtext and sort of the behavior and somehow uh, I go deeper and deeper into the language and uh, what is being spoken or what is not being said and somehow uh, I end up with uh, heightened language and um, I think that um, I think the language for the theater should be a little heightened. I think that uh, the roots of a theater, of theater is 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 poetry and uh, and certainly verse and and prose and so uh, I'm 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 interested in in that elevated language. I was watching an interview that you did like over ten years ago, I think, or I don't I don't remember exactly when. But you were talking to the journalist who was interviewing you about how surprised you were when you were commissioned an opera. And I wonder now in you know retrospect, when you look at your work, which has always had this very operatic nature, are you still surprised that people wanted you to write an opera? <laughs> um, no, not at all. As a matter of fact, I've written two operas now. And uh, I... It, I, it's a medium that I feel very comfortable. Uh, comfortable is not the right word because you should never feel comfortable uh, as a writer. But um, it it feels like a second nature to me. And uh, because again, for opera, you do want to the language to be a little heightened as well, and you want the language to sing. 
and and there's a an economy of language as well um uh again because you're you're when you're writing opera you're mindful of that this is going to be music and and so the language must be distilled you're also a translator you've translated several plays uh from spanish to to english and i wonder you know we both live in an english speaking world for well, you know like in in the us and spanish the use of spanish is still slightly controversial as you've seen in the news <laughs> recently so so i wonder when you're translating something from spanish into english which in many ways is a more efficient language but it lacks the poetry of spanish what are the challenges for you mm -hmm. uh, well i mean i think i'm a product of of both cultures because i i came to this country when i was nine years old so you know i hadn't finished learning one language well enough and then i was learning another one so i think that i i um I'm able to switch easily. As a matter of fact, I grew up speaking half a sentence in Spanish and half a sentence in English with my friends at school. So whatever language came first, you sort of, uh, you know, I just went for it. And uh, so it's not difficult for me to translate uh, my own work or translate other people's work. Uh, again, it's, It, it's about you know going into the characters and and uh, and and exploring language and and going into the psychology of 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 the characters more than anything than just doing a literal a translation and but also to have an economy of language as well for instance you know this this play esquisita agonia in spanish is much longer we use more words in spanish than we use in the right in the english language is english is more economic for some reason i think it's uh, it's 80 it's 87 pages i think in english and 101 pages i think in spanish <laughs> Uh, but you know, you, you do, as a translator, you sort of have to wear a different hat, you know, and, and again, you know, it's not about the literal, it's about, uh, it, how the language travels from one medium to another, you know, from one language to another and, 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 but also how to capture certain rhythms, uh, the rhythm of the writing in the English language and then have that also present in in the Spanish language or, or vice versa. I'm very interested in, in, in rhythms. Uh, and so that's something that I keep in mind as I'm as I'm translating. Right. There's always a musicality to to, to your work and the yeah. rhythm that you're talking about. So when you are working with the director, because you, you're also trained to be a director, but when you you know when you give a director your your child basically, mm -hmm. how do you make sure that they find that musicality and, and stick to it well I was very amazed when I saw when I came to the rehearsals here in New York and uh, and I saw Jose Saya's work with my script he was very very respectful of the rhythms he was very respectful of the punctuation in the language and um, I I couldn't believe that he spent so much time again uh, guarding the language I'd be very frank with you when I when I've directed in the past, I'm <laughs> sort of the last, I, I'm not as careful as 
for instance, someone like Jose is, and with my own language. Um, but I think it's important to honor it because, you know, we, we don't just write words, we write rhythms, we write um, um, certain melodies, certain kind of, I think, behind uh, expressions there is an inflection, uh, and that has music, so that one has to keep all of that in mind. Mm. Uh, when, when I was reading this play, I couldn't help but obviously, you know, like visualize what I thought the characters looked like. And because of the the plot and the tone of the play and the, the way in which the characters speak, uh, the, the version that I, you know, conjured was kind of like a uh, Reiner Werner Fassbender movie starring like Romy Schneider <laughs> with like some like Almodovar thrown in it for 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 good measure. Wow. So I wonder if you have, you know, any images, like, is it hard to let go of images that you have when you're creating the characters to when you see them on stage with, you know, actors and, and real people? It's really interesting that you say that because um, some people who have read the script have also mentioned that there's there's uh, there's a little bit of Almodovar and in, in, in the piece and I think a little bit of Bergman as well. Um, Again, those are those are authors that uh, have interested me in the past, and uh, and you know, in some way or another, you're you're influenced uh, by it, and 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 then you know, also the two of the main characters in the piece are are they are Spaniards, and so they bring a certain kind of musicality that comes from that part of the world, uh, which is which is very different than the language that we speak in the in Latin America or in the Caribbean. So, um, so it's intriguing, you know, when you when you add these other elements, you know, like actors and what comes with them, you know, uh, the part of the world that they're from, and uh, and uh, so it's it's and and that's that's the beauty of of theater that just uh, you start with an image, you start with with a uh, dialogue and then of course you hand it over to a a group of actors and and they also bring their own input and their own interpretation of of the piece and and again those images are sort of expand and and they go in in other directions that you know it maybe have nothing to do with some of the original images that i had at the beginning and and anna and the tropics you know, it's obviously a play that's in love with, with literature and the effect of storytelling and what stories do to us. And in, in Anna and the Tropics, uh, Anna Karenina becomes like a fabric of the characters. And I found it really interesting that in Exquisita Agonia, I hope this is not a spoiler, but, you know, an artist's heart, in a way, becomes someone else's heart. So, you know, it's like taking a piece of art and literally putting it in you and you you uh you know you play with how in many ways the soul of the character who died is alive in a character who has his heart now and i wonder i promise i won't do this but i wonder if i were to dissect you right now <laughs> what art what pieces of art would i find like you know like in your heart or like in your lungs or your veins for instance <laughs> You would probably find all the books that I've read. <laughs> you definitely 
uh, fine, you know, romances that I've had in my life. That's the way I. That's the way I. I view. That's the way I enter the world of of this play, and uh, it's sort of like a, a sensorial memory that is. I think if if we have um, ancestral memory in our cells, we probably have. Um, sensorial memories as well of of uh of how we've led our lives and uh, and that's something that i'm exploring with this new material with with this with this new play so yes the heart here in in anna in anatropics is the book that sort of uh, uh causes uh the play to go in all these different uh directions and the characters right to to go off their center and so in with this piece is is the heart the the heart that has been transplanted and 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 then this is sort of displacement in some ways uh and not you know there's then it also creates a center you know that everybody gravitates to is that heart that has been received by this young man as the presence and the the very existence of you know latinx and hispanic people in the united states has become the center of like you know all this horrible rhetoric coming from the current administration i i wonder you know as as a as a cuban immigrant what goes th through your mind when you hear for instance when you listen to you know like people like marco rubio who are the you know, he's the offspring of Cuban immigrants mm -hmm. and he aligns with like anti-immigrant mm -hmm. policies. Mm -hmm. So what goes through your mind when, when you see that? Oh, I think it's terrifying. Uh, I think that people need to remember from where they come from. They need to be get, they need to remember their history. Uh, they need to remember how they got to this country. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I think that someone like like Marco Rubio and and other uh, Latinos that I've uh, run across in the past few years need to be reminded, you know, that and non-Latinos as well. Uh, I mean, this is a country that is made by immigrants, and uh, so I think that we before we speak, before we try to. Uh, throw the, the stone <laughs> I think we need to look at our own roots we need to look at uh, uh, at our own history before before we point the finger so I you know I'm just very happy that at this moment in time this play is being done in New York is being done in Spanish <laughs> mm -hmm. and um, and uh, of course it's translated as well to through soup uh, s subtitles but I, I just I had a moment the other day and I was just uh, full of gladness that you know here's the play I was written in Spanish and it's being done in Spanish by by Latino actors and uh, and a director and uh, so it's just the right time and and it should always be the right time for this kind of work for diversity and yeah, I completely agree. Do you ever, is it just me or do you ever also wake up in the middle of the night in like cold sweats, like fearing like an erasure of Spanish in, in America? 
yes, but you know, I always try whenever I see a familiar face or someone that I think is is uh, from Latin America or from Iberia, I I try to to speak Spanish. I, I try to connect. Uh, uh, it it just um, it just feels right to connect through the uh, mother tongue. Are there any challenges for you as a you know as a Spanish speaking creator when you wake up and you see the newspapers and you look at what's going on in the news? Are there any you know challenges that make your work harder to? create nowadays than than before i try not to think about it i try to continue what i've always done and um is write about people like you and i and um and try to find a place for them in or for us in 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 the theater and um or i you know i i try to embrace certain themes that are that uh, I think that need to be embraced by by the theater. For instance, I'm writing a an oratorio at the moment based on dreamers. I went to California, I interviewed like ten uh, dreamers in in Berkeley, and so my new piece has to do with uh, this group of people who live in in a state of uh, of uncertainty in this country, and I think it's important to to hear their voices. Right, that sounds really beautiful. I can't wait to, to take a look at that. And something else that, uh, you know, that I think pretty much every time that I come to, to Repertorio and I, or whenever I go see a work in Spanish, is that for the most part, people who are writing about theater are white people who mm -hmm. only speak English. And I wonder for you as a Latino artist, what do you think gets lost by not having other Latinos, for instance, and people of color also write about your work? Hmm. Uh, well, I think we need to be generating our own work, you know, to be honest with you. Uh, I think we need to be, I think we need to be, be doing Shakespeare as well. Uh, I think that we, um, we need to, when we're not being represented by places on, on Broadway or off-Broadway as well. Um, we need to be do, trying to find ways of, of producing our own work. For instance, I live in Miami. There's very little theater in Miami, and I have a theater company. So I write for the theater company. When I'm not writing for the theater, oh, I mean, I direct for the theater company as well, and when I'm not directing one of my plays, I'm directing the plays of other Uh, Latino writers or you know and recently I decided to do a play by uh, a North American writer but with a whole Latino cast mm. which you know I just love the mixture and and and, and again those explorations why not and I wanted to end by asking you what's your absolute favorite word in Spanish work in Spanish word word in Spanish yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I forgot. Um, Maybe a favorite sentence of yours that you've written. <laughs> I usually don't remember my own work, and you believe <laughs> it, I'm terrible. 
Uh, I can tell you one word that I do like. Uh, yes, I there's there's a there's one word that I do like in Spanish. Uh, devenir. Hmm. What's to come. Devenir, I think, is beautiful, which I think maybe the uh, the origin of the word is 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 French, uh, but uh, we also use the word, and uh, I just like the concept of, the concept of what is to come, you mm. know, and uh, it's it's a hopeful word. It's a good choice, I would <laughs> say. Also, did you watch that movie that came out two years ago? I think that was precisely called L'Avenir. Yeah. with Isabelle Huppert. Oh, no, I did not. Yeah, it's it's they translated it in English as things to come. Things to come. And yeah, yeah, I I if I may I would highly recommend it. Really? Yeah. Mm. It's really beautiful. Mm. Cool. Thank you, Nilo. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Maximum Theater and Performance Podcast. If you have questions, comments or opinions that are different from our own, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Maximum and I am at Jose Solis Mayen. If you enjoy the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have merch. You can buy coffee mugs, tote bags, and stickers with your favorite Maximoisms. You can get to the store via Maximu.com. All proceeds go to helping the podcast improve our sound quality. Thank you.